0: Alright, check one, two. I wasn't shushing you guys. I was just shushing Peyton. You guys can be loud. I'm kidding. I mean, you could, but don't. I'm going to get this hooked to my pants. Come on. Come on. There we go. Good morning again, everybody. Man, it is so nice to see you guys. Come on in. Get sat down. I'd like to start today by just giving a quick thank you and to just honor that you guys are really flexible, and we really appreciate that. Uh, You should know that our intention was today, uh, we were originally going to continue speaking about the spiritual discipline of forgiveness. And the plan was for Philip to dive into some pretty... uh, uh, Difficult aspects of forgiveness namely specifically abuse he was going to teach on that today We're still going to be doing that but we're going to go ahead and push it back a week So if you came here today if you were prepping your heart to hear those things Just attend next week we're going to go through that again so thank you so much for being patient Um, It actually works out really well for us because we kind of planned our preaching schedule wrong Uh, We started on our calendar advent at the last week of november not thinking that Christmas Eve was actually a Sunday. So this is actually going to uh, correct our, our preaching calendar. We're not going to have to move things around. Uh, but Philip is very sick. I think he had the same thing that I had a couple of weeks ago. So if my experience is anything to go on, please pray for our friend Philip, because it was bad. So instead, this morning, I'm going to preach a sermon uh, from a manuscript that we preached uh, on worship in July of 2020. We called this series Worship More Than a Song, and it covers what true worship really means for us as believers. So let's just go ahead and dive in this morning. The plan was today we all came here to do what is on our website's calendar as a Sunday morning worship gathering, a Sunday worship gathering. That's what we're doing here. We are a church. We gather to worship together. That's our goal today. But probably not a lot of us have taken a lot of time to sit down and just chew on what it means to gather for worship. So before we start today, for you note-takers, uh, how we did it in 2020 is we used to just put our, our points up, the very first thing. I kind of wish we brought back that. That was a lot of fun. Uh, so if you guys want to write down my points today, they're going to be on the screen. Point one is that worship is the remedy to suffering, Worship is the remedy to suffering, and we're going to pull that from Acts chapter 16, verses 20 through 31. And point number two today is that true worship is inside out. I think I hate the wording of that, but I will explain what that means. It doesn't stand on its own, but I think you'll get it once we get there. So true worship is inside out. We're going to pull that from Romans chapter 12. One of the reasons that I think worship is an interesting topic is not because they pay me to be the worship leader. That does happen, but that's not why I'm just only interested in worship. I think that we as a church, really the global church, we just kind of throw that word around a whole lot, right? Like we have a worship service, worship gathering, we do worship nights, we sing worship music, etc., etc. The church world, I believe, is inundated with that word, But the practice of worship is not just as simple as attaching that word to an event. You know, gathering, worship, gathering. It's not quite that simple. It's not just a label. We can't just use worship as an adjective. See, once we understand that worship is not just a label, but worship is actually an active way of life, I believe that we can grow, we can flourish in our worship. The church is guilty of prescribing worship without effectively teaching the full definition of what it means. It's a problem I see you know, quite often in the modern church, spotty definitions that lead to spotty practices. That's why we're spending so much time on spiritual disciplines like forgiveness. We could just tell you, hey, forgive each other without actually teaching you what it means. We don't have a lot of hope as to teaching the full breadth of what that means. Like how can we raise the next generation of forgivers, of worshipers, of Christ followers if we don't properly demonstrate what those words are? So to start off today, I'm gonna give us two quick definitions of worship. And I think if we hold on to these definitions, it's going to help guide us through our texts today. So the New Testament uses the English word worship in two ways. So when you see the English word worship in a couple of different ways, that's translated from the original Greek. I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson today. I just want to help us understand what we actually are talking about when we use the word worship and when we see it in the Bible. So the first literal definition that we find in the original language, when we use the word worship, it translates pretty directly to Bow down. Worship is to bow down. We see this in passages like Matthew 2.11. We'll put that on the screen for you. This is when the three wise men came to see Jesus after his birth. Verse 11 says, As they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure boxes and they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They bowed down and worshipped. Those five words in English is actually two words in the original Greek, and it is, one, having fallen down, that's word one. Two is they worshipped. Having fallen down, they worshipped. So the worship could not actually happen until they had fallen down. They have placed themselves down. Now to bow down, it conveys a posture of adoration, of reverence. You know, for this Reason The music that we sing, the stuff that we select to sing on a Sunday morning, it's specifically picked to show God as high, it shows God as holy, as set apart, and it keeps us grounded. It keeps us humble because we believe that's the right attitude to have during worship. God high, us low. We bow down. You know, we don't sing a lot of songs uh, about like what we can do now because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not really, we don't avoid those themes necessarily. But in our corporate worship, it's just that the Bible points to our posture of worship to be that of humility. It keeps us humble. So in worship, we bow down, we acknowledge God's love and his grace and his power in our lives. Like the goal of our worship service before the preaching, it's not to, you know, hype ourselves up into a frenzy. That's not what the Bible points us to do. We don't need to foam at the mouth. We don't need to talk in gibberish. We simply bow down. We proclaim our love and our thankfulness to God, and that honors him. That's what we're doing. Now, maybe you've been going to church for a long time, and you've never really thought to question it, or maybe you're just brand new. This is your first Sunday. If so, welcome. This is a weird Sunday. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. We actually sing in church for a reason, like we do that on purpose. Maybe you've never thought to question that, maybe you just don't know why, but we do it on purpose, and really, there's, there's two reasons, really. One uh, is that we believe that worship it means to adore and revere and profess our love to God. That's what worship means to us, and singing is, in my opinion, the absolute best way where we can all take part of that together, right? Right? We can all sing melody together. Some of us can throw in some harmonies. We can play piano and drums, different instruments, different harmonies, different melodies, but all communicating the same thing. That's corporate, and we love that, and I think that's a beautiful way for us to all collectively share the same experience at the same time. And the second reason that we sing in church is actually just because the Bible says to do that. The Bible says to sing, it's Bible says to sing loud, actually, so... If you sing too quietly, like just sing louder, it's fine. I haven't met anybody in this church that sing, I know the, I know the excuse, right? Oh, it'd be distracting if I, I have not met anybody in this church that sings so poorly that if they were singing louder that it would be a distraction. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. That's a secondary point. Let's just keep moving. If you're terrible, that's fine. Just make a joyful noise. We want to be there with it. We want to hear you. Okay, so the second literal definition, sorry, I'll get back there. The second literal definition of the English word worship that we see in the Bible, when we find that in the New Testament, uh, when it's not to bow down, it is typically to serve. Worship is to serve. We see this in passages such as Romans 9. If you could throw Romans 9 up on the screen for me. Romans 9, starting in verse 3, says this. Uh, Paul is in anguish over his brothers uh, in the Roman church. Uh, uh, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, he says, to be cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, my fellow countrymen, who are Israelites. To them belong the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, and the temple worship and the promises. They serve in the temple. It's not communicating that worship is an act of service, but rather that our service to the church, his bride, is an act of worship. This is one of the main reasons that we place such a high value on serving regularly here at True North, because our service to the church is an extension of our desire to worship God. It is important for us to, to kind of commit ourselves to a better understanding of church worship because the global church as a whole is, it's suffering. It is suffering right now. Now, I may help you to remember, most of the content for this sermon was written in 2020, so kind of if you could just throw your mind back three years to being in the middle of a pandemic and being just confused as to what in the world we're going to do as a church, like between that, between pandemic Uh, between stuff like these wildly debated presidential elections, we have terrorist attacks, we have countries going to war. Like the last three to five years, they're going to need their own textbooks and history classes. A lot has happened in the global church. We can't cover that all today, but here's what I can tell you. Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation is looking for a remedy to their pain right now. That is happening. I want us to look to the life of Paul. Paul is the authority on church worship. I think that is very fair to say. Paul talks about orderly worship. He writes about orderly worship in every single epistle that he wrote in the New Testament. So I want us to zoom in on one snapshot from his ministry for just a little bit here. If you'd like to, if you have your Bibles, take a second and go ahead and turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. Uh, it's also going to be on the screen, but paper is just better. Acts chapter 16. So here Paul and several apostles, they're, they're preaching the gospel throughout Macedonia. They're trying to find their way to a, a, a suspected place of prayer. Like they're trying to find other Christians in Macedonia. When they're on their way there, they encounter a slave girl. And this slave girl, she starts proclaiming that Paul and the other apostles, that they were servants of the Most High God, and they were telling everyone that they were speaking the truth about salvation. The Bible says that she does this because she, quote, had a spirit of divination. And what her owners would do is they would kind of peddle her. They would peddle her to tell the fortunes of people, and that's how they made their money. The Bible says that this girl, she did this so loudly and for so long that Paul became, quote, greatly annoyed, which is kind of funny. And he cast the spirit out of her in Jesus' name, which I think is a little harsh because she was right, but she was doing it in an obnoxious way. I don't know. That's what happened. It feels a little harsh, but just just watch what happens here. We're going to start in verse 19. Acts 16, verse 19 says this. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. So these men, they claim that Paul and Silas were disturbing the city city because they were Jews and their way of life was supposedly incompatible with Macedonia. And the magistrates, they just went for it. It worked. That's not even what they were actually mad about, but it totally works. And they threw them in jail. They threw them into prison. So let's pick back up in verse 25. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Paul and Silas experienced, I mean, it was injustice is what happened to them. They felt slander, hatred. There was bigotry, racism. They inflicted bodily harm on them, and they falsely imprisoned them. And their first response was to worship. That was the first thing that they did. They worshiped the Almighty God. Here's the thing. They didn't worship God because they were expecting something in return. They didn't sing praises and hymns to God, knowing that God would break the prison open. They worshipped God because God was worthy of worship. They knew that even in the middle of their suffering, that God was worthy of worship. And I don't believe that much has changed for us today. I don't feel like that scenario is that uncommon for Christ followers all around the world. A.W. Tozer had a really great quote about our identity as worshipers. I'm gonna throw it on the screen and I'm gonna read it for you. Listen to this about what it means when we try to serve God before we worship God, before we try to work and do the things that we think that he wants to do without worshiping. Tozer says this, I am of the opinion that we should not be concerned about working for God until we have learned the meaning and the delight of worshiping him. A worshiper can work with eternal quality in his work, but a worker who does not worship is only piling up wood, hay, and stubble for a time when God sets the world on fire. See, Paul and Silas, they know that their current circumstances, however terrible, however all-consuming they feel in the moment, they are temporary. And that the God that they serve never changes. God is always good. They know this. And we can learn so much from that attitude today. The entire world around us, church, is looking for a way to respond to the pain in their lives and the pain they see in the world around them. And I 100% believe that it is the Christian's obligation to model that response by worshiping God as our first response in suffering. The unfortunate thing is that while the world is looking so hard for some hope, there are men and women that confess the name of Jesus that are using that to, to lash out at others. There are people that claim Jesus that are only doing it to further their own agendas. And I, you know, I hope that is probably not true for everybody here today, but you will meet people in your life who assume that if you are Christian, that you are only doing it because it gets you something. The world does not need more of that right now. What the world needs is for Christ's followers to bow down before the Lord and to serve his bride. So what happens when we do that? Well, I know what happens to Paul and Silas when they did that when their first response was suffering or when their first response to suffering was worship god opened the doors of their cells he gave them supernatural freedom but they didn't waste that opportunity selfishly no you know what they did was they stayed right there if you know the story they stayed there and they shared the good news of jesus christ to the jailer who was about to end his own life because he was so convinced that they had, had that that they had escaped under his watch and because they shared the hope of jesus with this jailer whose only job was to make sure that they never saw freedom again, that jailer's whole family came to worship God. That is our remedy in suffering, that we have a Savior who stands firm while the world around us crumbles. If we have found our, the foundation of our Christian identity to be that of a worshiper then we should weigh each of our interactions with the world around us against that identity. So some helpful questions are, are are my opinions, are my daily practices, are they rooted in worship for the King of Kings? Do my opinions, do my practices help lead others closer to the worship of God, or do they only serve my own self-interests? That's a great thing to ask yourself in the morning. Thinking of current events, there are people all around the world that are caught up in the fear of government overstepping and overreaching and using their authority to subjugate them for their own interests. Well, I mean, isn't that exactly what happened to Paul and Silas? I don't think the human experience has changed a whole lot since biblical times. Like, this still happens. But again, let's look back to the way they respond. Paul and Silas could have left... They could have just been silent. They could have just wallowed in their own misery in prison. They could have cried out against the injustice done upon them. But they knew who they were. They were worshipers. It's not that they didn't take action, and I'm also not telling you not to take action if you see persecution or injustice in your life. But we just need to see that Paul and Silas, they rooted their response and they tempered their further actions with worship and we should do the same we should do the same. we should bow down we should serve we should do the same because when we worship it's because we are we are just flooded with the truth of the gospel and we align ourselves with God's heart God is motivated church by his own glory and worship allows us to share in that now let me explain what that means Romans 8, verse 18 tells us this. I don't have this one on the screen for you, so I'll just read this one really quickly. Romans eight eighteen says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what you and I need in our suffering is God's glory. And that's why Paul and Silas went to God in worship first. They knew that worship is the remedy to their suffering. And the best news is that God has not changed. We still have access to that. He'll just, he'll, I love that. Isn't that the best? Your tongue just goes, I got it from here, boss. No, he'll still do that for you today. Man, you need to let go of whatever it is that you hold, that you value so tightly that, man, those things just turn your eyes away from the accomplished work of Christ. If you're holding on to things, you're suffering so tightly that you can't even look to Jesus Just let go. So what does Paul prescribe? Like what what does he tell about how to worship? Let's go ahead and we're gonna turn to the book of Romans now. Talk about what worship is being inside out. So if you would like to, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12. And we're gonna be starting in verse one here. We're gonna hang out here for a little bit. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. In what is perfect. I'd like for us to just start here with an assumption, and that assumption is that God is the one that starts this entire process for us. Spiritual worship must start with the understanding that it's not going to happen until the Holy Spirit points you to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. That's just not gonna happen. Spiritual worship requires a spirit First. That might seem obvious, but the way that we practice worship might actually be contrary to this. Okay, we can look to the Pharisees for our example in this. Okay, they served, and they served devotedly, if that's a word. But their devotion to the Lord, it was based on the the idea that their upholding of God's law would actually draw themselves closer to God. Their worship was an action so that God would see them more favorably. But if Paul's to be believed, the mercies of God and being transformed come before our spiritual worship. Right worship, it's only right after the Holy Spirit regenerates your dead heart. This passage is describing God's role in our worship just as much as it's describing ours. When it says to offer your body as a living sacrifice, we can actually look to the previous verses for a little bit of context. Uh, Verse uh, 36 of chapter 11, if we just go back a couple of verses, says this, for from Jesus and through Jesus and to Jesus are all things. To Jesus be glory forever and ever. Amen. We receive the Holy Spirit which then empowers us to worship, and then the Holy Spirit aligns our hearts and it points that worship right back to Jesus. That's what I mean when I say that worship is inside out. I'm sorry, I don't like that language, but that does help. It's inside out, that it comes from a spirit that has been made alive by God and then goes to God. Outside in is what we described before, that we would be using our worship to try to get something from God, to try to garner favor from him. That would be trying to make ourselves look better so that God would choose us and give us something, and that's us taking in God, and if the Bible's to be believed, that never works. The Bible talks over and over and over again about works-based righteousness. Worship is the natural reaction of a heart that encounters the Lord. It's a reaction, and God's glory sets it off. See being a living sacrifice which is what Paul calls our spiritual worship is the way a Christian lives their life in response to God's glory and in to God's mercy and his faithfulness and his love that is shown to us. The music time that we have every single Sunday that's just a time to do corporately what each Christian should be doing individually and that's just treasuring God above all else and then expressing that praise. Okay, music, that's just the medium. It's a good medium, but it is only a medium. God made us to worship, and God saves us to worship. And when we worship him rightly, our hearts align closer to his than by any other work that we could do in his name. True worship flows outward from a heart made right by God, inside out. And that's the best news that I've got for each of us here today is that God is going to be the one that makes your heart right. He'll do that. In fact, God chose you before you were ever able to do anything for him. I've been leading the music, leading the worship music at this church for over a decade now. I've seen people come and go. I've met some really vibrant worshipers. And I've met people that are so concerned about what they're gonna do next that they never actually stop long enough to participate. But never have I met anybody that wasn't made to worship. So to close out our time today, what I'm gonna do before we respond in prayer and before we sing, is I want us to just spend a moment looking to God in scripture and just to see him for who he is. I think before we go into our final song, this is gonna help us reframe our thoughts. It'll hopefully get us into the right mindset before going to the Lord corporately. So what I wanna do is, um, I'm gonna have it on the screen behind me. I'm gonna read it here. The formatting is totally lost on the screen. So if you guys wanna see how this looks in a Bible, I do recommend it. It's gonna be a different translation probably. Um, I believe I'm reading from the NET for this one. So if you've got access to that, I would suggest that you read along. Uh, But I'm gonna read Psalm 66, And this is just an account of worship. Uh, As the writer describes joy and sorrow and pain, he still attributes worship to God. So to close our time today, let's read this together. I'll read it out loud. You guys can just follow along and let it just steep through your soul and stir up some worship in your hearts. So let's start in verse one. We're gonna read the whole chapter. Verse 1 says, shout out praise to God, all the earth. Sing praises about the majesty of his reputation. Give him the honor he deserves. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cower in fear before you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Verse 5, come and witness God's exploits. His acts on behalf of people are awesome. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. Let us rejoice in him there. He rules by his power forever. He watches the nations. Stubborn rebels should not exalt themselves. Verse 8, praise our God, you nations, loudly proclaim his praise. He preserves our lives and does not allow our feet to slip. For you, O God, tested us. You purified us like refined silver. You led us into a trap. You caused us to suffer. You allowed men to ride over our heads. We passed through fire and water, but you brought us out into a wide open place I will enter your temple with burnt sacrifices I will fulfill the vows I made to you which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble I will offer up to you fattened animals as burnt sacrifices along with the smell of sacrificial lambs I will offer cattle and goats come listen all you who are loyal to God I will declare what he has done for me. I cried out to him for help and praised him with my tongue. If I had harbored sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. However, God heard. He listened to my prayer. God deserves praise, for he did not reject my prayer or abandon his love for me. Heavenly Father, would you hear our prayer today as we acknowledge that the world around us is suffering, that many of us are suffering here today. God, hear our pleas for mercy as we cry out to you. God, show us the hope of the gospel. Teach us to worship you rightly. Teach us to trust you in our suffering. That God, we might lead others to a higher treasuring of you. God, we love you. And we need you. This world needs you and we know that. God, I pray for the worship of this church. I pray that as we continue in song this morning that God, maybe you would communicate something to us. God, that your spirit would, would change our attitudes towards singing. Maybe we've, if we have been so against it for so long that you would soften our hardened hearts. Or that God, if we are doing things to make ourselves look better, if we're singing out because we want people to hear us, God, maybe that's one or two of us, I don't know that, God, you would redeem our worship today, that we would cry out to you with renewed love for you, a renewed understanding, a renewed mind. God, may this time honor you because you are good and worthy of all honor and glory forever. Amen. I need just a moment to grab my guitar here, but if you guys would like to stand, we're going to close our service out.